Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Well, it seriously blows my mind that we are turning the corner to the final episodes of this season. If you've tracked along with us so far, we started the season out talking with young up-and-coming leaders in the industry. The mid part of the season was speaking with peak performers, and we are shifting to end our season talking with legacy makers. And I am so excited for you to hear these next episodes. But as promised, today is a one-off episode to mark the turning point from peak performers to legacy makers. And it's actually going to be me talking solo about some things that I have really been just realizing as I've been traveling around and working with hearth retailers. I mean, We are right now in the middle of the payoff season, or maybe the busy season as you like to call it. But what I'm seeing is in some parts of the country, businesses are slow. In some, they're slammed. But what I am finding to be true is that there is a common denominator of many salespeople on the floor not taking advantage of the opportunities that are being put in front of them. And what it really comes down to is the lack of a sales process. And again, this is something that you've heard me talk about at nauseum if you've listened to this for any amount of time. But more and more, I am just realizing that professionals use a process and amateurs don't. And very often, we make all these excuses why a process doesn't work for us, why our business is so unique that we can't nail down a process, it takes away our humanity, all these things. And... I think for a long time, I personally felt a little bit of fear coming in to work with a business to not want to, you know, step on anyone's toes and, and, and to try to, you know, understand like, yeah, your, your business is different. So let's, let's work on this, you know, for you specifically. But more and more, I am just being reminded that a simple sales process works. It just does. And if you push against that, it's saying something more about, yourself and the kind of company you want to run than it is telling us that your business is actually so unique. And so what I want to share are just some lessons that I have been learning myself as I've been working showroom floors and spending time with sales teams. And really what it all comes down to, absolutely everything in the retail sales process, I absolutely have some thoughts at the end. Um, now we hear that and often we think, okay, I, I, I need to understand their problem, but how do we do it? How is it that we understand our customer's problem so then we're able to advise a solution? Well, sit back because that is exactly what today's episode is about. I'm really excited to get into this, get out a pen and paper, and I hope you get a lot of value from it. Okay, so as we roll into this today, I want to start at a high level and then we will begin to zoom in. But first off, we just need to be aware that most companies in our industry 
do not have a sales process. And I might have mentioned this earlier this podcast season, but I was in Austin, Texas a few months ago with Tim Rethlake from Hearth and Home Technologies. And he was giving just an amazing presentation about sales philosophy and how we need to anchor ourselves in an understanding of where we want to go with our lives. And he was giving an amazing presentation on sales. And as part of it, he asked the group if anybody could raise their hands if they had a documented sales process in their company. Not this is how I do it, but this is how we do it. Where if somebody new was hired in the company, you could hand them this process, they could read it and understand how you do sales. And no one in the room raised their hand. He asked a follow-up question and he said, does anybody here have a formal training guide where when someone is new at your company, There's formal steps, day one, day two, day three, week one, week two, week three, to train them in your sales process. And again, not one company was able to raise their hand. And what Tim said is that this was either the fourth or the fifth HPBA affiliate event that he'd spoken at over the course of the summer. And he said that there were no companies that could raise their hand to either of those questions. And that does not bode well for us. And and while this is not going to be about making anyone feel bad for not having these things documented, it is to kind of sound the alarm and say, as the economy starts to dry up, it is more important than ever that we get really clear about what our sales process is. And my hope is that the conversation today can give you some insight to create your own process. Now, If you don't want to reinvent the wheel, you can use the fire time sales process that we've taught. It's seven simple steps. Step one, greet the customer. Step two, understand their problem. Step three, advise a solution. Step four, explain the process. Step five, call to action. Step six, pursue the opportunity. And step seven, show gratitude. Now you can go back and listen to the podcast episodes on that for a deep dive. And honestly, the more I've been thinking about it, I I, I think sooner rather than later, we will do another deep dive on those seven steps. But the point is that you can go back and listen to those in detail. If you want to use that process, I hope it serves you well, but you might say, well, I have something that's a little bit different. That's totally fine. The point is that you have a simple documented process that explains this is how we do it. Not this is how I do it. This is how we do it. Now, as we start to zoom in, we're going to be really talking about how we understand the customer's problem. But before we lay that groundwork, I want to go over one more concept that I think is incredibly important to realize, and it's understanding the old sales funnel versus the new sales funnel. So many of our businesses have been built on the old sales funnel. And I'm going to explain what that is and then talk about some of the problems in it. And then we'll highlight the new sales funnel and why there is such an advantage to companies that are willing to adopt it. And finally, we're going to land the plane today getting really specific on if we are going to execute on the new sales funnel, how do we understand our customer's problem every single time to move them into the funnel? So first, let's look at the old sales funnel. In the old sales funnel, there are three stages to it. 
Now, I'm actually going to start with stage zero. This is what happens before the customer comes into the funnel, okay? So stage zero is an initial interaction with the customer. That's stage zero. And the reason it's stage zero is that you don't know what they want. You have no contact information for them. They found you on the internet. Maybe they just walked into your store. But if they leave, you have absolutely no way to pursue the opportunity. So that's stage zero. So stage zero is the initial interaction with the customer. Now, things really start moving at stage one when an in-home appointment is booked to look at the job. So generally at stage zero, they come into the showroom, they look around, talk about some fireplaces, and then we move them into stage one of the sales funnel where we book an in-home appointment to look at the job. Now, stage two of the sales funnel is that after the in-home appointment, the customer is sent a final quote. And then finally, stage three, the job is one. Really simple funnel. Stage zero is your initial interaction when they walk into the showroom. Things really get moving at stage one, where after talking to them, you book an in-home visit to look at the job. Stage two is when the customer sent a final quote. And then stage three, the job is one. Okay, that's the old sales funnel. And I'm going to give you the new sales funnel and then talk about some of the differences between these and why that old funnel is crumbling. And while it might have worked to build our businesses to a point, it will not work to take us where we want to go, especially in light of a down economy and especially in light of consumer behavior changing. So here's the new sales funnel. The new sales funnel is actually four stages, not three, but there's still a stage zero. Now, in the new sales funnel, stage zero is the initial digital or physical interaction with the customer. Okay, this is true whether it's digital or physical. Now, stage one is that the customer is given an estimate range for their project. Stage two, an in-home appointment is booked to confirm the job. Stage three, a final quote is proposed on site. And stage four, the job is one. Okay, let's look at these differences here. This is really important. Now, in the old sales funnel, stage one was an in-home appointment to look at the job. Have you ever heard that? Oh yeah, we got to go out and take a look at it. That is the old way of doing it. Now, in the new sales funnel, stage one is that the customer is given an estimate range for their project. This happens before the in-home appointment. And Sometimes people say, well, I give my customers a range by writing it on a business card. Doesn't count. Well, I take a Sharpie. I mark up the brochure. Doesn't count. It only counts when their name and their email address are on a bid with a price range for a specific product with your letterhead on it. Outside of that, everything is so vague. There's nothing for the customer to actually take home and think about with their project. So stage one in the new sales funnel is that the customer is given an estimate range for the project. That's their first entry into it. Then we book the in-home visit at stage two. What happens though is by giving an initial estimate range first, stage two changes to an in-home appointment to confirm the job. In the old sales funnel, when we are not writing up estimates before the in-home visit, we have to go look at the job. But the problem is Looking at the job doesn't help the customer. They want someone to solve their problem. And there's nothing worse than getting out to an in-home visit and the customer tells you like, oh, I figured it'd be about 750 bucks. Or they say, yeah, you know, we're just, we're thinking about this in a couple years, but just wanted to get an idea, right? Well, 
if they just wanted to get an idea and it's a couple years out, we want to give them that estimate range up front. The estimate range being given up front, again, officially documented on a letterhead with their name on it, with their product. What that does is that focuses the customer's momentum. And it's kind of like a bouncer at a club where instead of the bouncer saying you must be 21 or older to enter, it's the bouncer saying you must be willing to spend $7,000 to $7,800 to proceed. And I'm assuming that most of you do free in-home visits. This is an amazing way to increase your sales rate, but also not scare customers away. Sometimes when we take a deposit of, you know, 50% or, you know, whatever the dollar amount is, sometimes that can scare customers away. Not always, but sometimes it can. I found that by giving an initial estimate range, it focuses their momentum and if they can't afford it, they won't book that in-home visit. If someone throws down a $10,000 estimate range in front of me and I can only afford 7,000, I'm not taking a further step. So this focuses momentum. The next thing it does is it gives the customer a week to two weeks to shop you before the in-home appointment. And that's the best thing in the world. You want the customer to shop you before you come out to the house. Because what it means is when you come out to the house, they are ready. If they haven't shopped you, if they just got some scrawled price on a business card that they don't know if it includes labor or vent pipe or anything... They're stuck. They can't shop you. So when you come out to the house, they're not in a position to make a decision because they've had no time to prepare. This allows them to shop you. And if you're too expensive or if they decide to go elsewhere, the best thing is they're going to call and cancel that appointment and you have one last chance to try to win that back. And I can tell you stories that I've had with that exact same situation where I've gotten the call to cancel and have been able to win the job because I have that one last shot at it. What also happens now is that we confirm the job. So when we come out to the house, the customers have had all this time to think about it. And more often than not, they are ready to go. They are very, very serious. We're no longer looking at the job. We're confirming it. Now, in the old sales funnel, stage two is that the customer gets sent a final quote. And that is often two days to two weeks after the in-home visit. And sometimes it's even worse. But in the new sales funnel, stage three is that the final quote is proposed on site. Now, this means that the in-home visit takes longer than it does when you're simply, quote, looking at the job. Well, now that we're confirming things, this appointment might take an hour to an hour and a half. But that's totally fine. It's, It's worth doing less appointments a day and making them longer, but actually doing them to completion than it is to halfway do eight to 10 of them, and you're juggling a bunch of paperwork after the fact. So by taking the time to confirm the job and propose a final quote on site, you will find that more often than not, people are ready to move ahead. And the simple example to think about is, if your toilet's broken, and you are having a plumber come out to your house, how many plumbers do you want out? Not very many. I mean, truly, like you want to pay a fair price, but the least amount of plumbers that I can have out to my house, the better. Your customers really want you to be right. In the words of Donald Miller, they want you to be right. And when you come out to the house after they've had a week and a half to look at that price range, if you propose a final quote to them that's in the pocket or even a little bit below, you will find that many of them are ready to write you a check on the spot so that they can take themselves out of the market and move on with their lives. At the very least, by preparing that final quote, they might want to sleep on it. You'll find very often if you call them the next day, they will give you that card 
over the phone. So that finishes stage three, and that takes us to stage four, the job being won. Okay, so the new sales funnel, just to give you a recap, stage zero is the initial digital or physical interaction with the customer. Stage one is that the customer's given an estimate range for their project. Now for me, I'm biased. I think that you should do this on the internet, on the phone, and in the showroom. It doesn't matter. In the first interaction with your company, whether digital or physical, the customer should be given an estimate range for their project. That takes us to stage two, an in-home appointment to confirm the job. But remember, momentum is high. They've waited a week or a week and a half staring at that price range, and they have intellectually prepared to spend that money. That takes you to stage three, where once you've confirmed the product will work, a final quote is proposed on site, and then stage four, the job is won. Now, I wrote an article about this in the Firetime Magazine a couple of months ago and kind of said tongue-in-cheek that, you know, why is it that the old sales funnel is used instead of the new one? Well, the old sales funnel is really easy to manage because it runs on pure apathy. I mean, literally, someone comes into the showroom, oh, don't worry about writing them up an estimate or really figuring out what's going to work. Just kick it down the curb. Let the estimator figure it out at the in-home visit. Okay, so then the customer waits a week and a half. The estimator comes out. But you don't really want to write that final quote. You don't want to take that time to really see what's going to work. I mean, you can just take some measurements. Just tell the customer, oh, we'll we'll get it to you later. Just kick that thing down the curb. I mean, is it any wonder that we lose jobs or that customers lose interest when our process is that passive? Now, the new sales funnel does take management because you have to try with every single step. I mean, in the initial interaction, like forget about the the online aspect of this, but like when a customer comes into your showroom, you actually have to write them up an estimate range for their project. And that estimate range needs to be accurate. So you need to understand what's going to work in their situation. You have to understand the nuance of what is going to solve their problem and take the time to write that estimate. Now, when we get to stage two at the in-home visit, this is intentional. It means that we can't book eight, nine appointments a day. We got to book probably four, maybe five tops. We're taking our time. We're confirming the job. When we move to stage three, we're proposing a final quote on site and asking the customer if they want to get on the schedule. I mean, that is intentional. That's putting yourself on the line and it results in the job being won. So you can see the difference between these two funnels. And in light of how consumer behavior has changed, I mean, I'm telling you, this old sales funnel, it is leaking like a sieve. And the new sales funnel, where I'm seeing it executed, I mean, it is like a fine net that is catching everything inside of it. So all of that is going to take us to answering the question, how do we understand the customer's problem? And and the reason that I wanted to talk about sales process and then this difference of the old sales funnel versus the new one first is this is the backdrop of where we are right now. Many of our businesses don't have a documented sales process. And as a result, they're operating on the old sales funnel, which takes more time. You have to try to answer more questions and you start spinning your wheels, driving all over creation, quote, looking at jobs versus confirming jobs with people who are serious about using you to make their lives better. We want to operate on the new sales funnel. But the new sales funnel hinges on the idea that we have to understand our customer's problem. So how do we do that? 
We'll get back to our conversation on understanding our customer's problem in just one second. Hey, if you've been listening to this podcast in particular and are thinking about, well, wait a minute, how is this going to work in my business? What do I do here? What do I do here? Well, you need to email those questions in because the final episode of this season is going to be me sitting down with the legend Tim Rethlake to answer your questions. If you have sales-related questions, what do I do in a down economy? How do I build a follow-up process? How do I prospect? How do I train my sales team to get better? Why does any of this make a difference when we should just be putting our nose to the grindstone? any of those questions, Tim and I want to answer. So make sure to email these in. You can send them to Tim at itsfiretime.com. That's Tim at itsfiretime.com. And we will do our best to answer all of these questions in the final episode of this season. Well, about a week ago, I was visiting a retailer and we were doing live sales practice. And in it, I gave everybody that was part of the exercise a piece of paper. And there were three criteria on the piece of paper. The first one said, what went well? The second one said, what could be improved? And the third one said, how many questions were asked? And what happened is we went through live role-playing. And as, as one person was the salesperson, one person was the customer, everybody else in the exercise was taking notes. Hey, oh, that went well. Good job on this. Oh, you know what? This could be improved. And they were also making a mark every time a question was asked of the customer. So the sales team knew that this is the criteria they'd be graded on. How many questions did they ask the customer to understand their problem? And the first salesperson went, and this is a salesperson that's not a slouch that has pretty good numbers. And as we went through the exercise, they asked a total of five questions of the customer. Now, think about this. They were under the microscope. They knew this is the criteria that they were being evaluated on. So based on that, would you tend to ask more questions or less questions? You can decide. But either way, this salesperson asked five questions, two of which were, how are you doing and what brings you in today? So if you think about it, really, there were three questions that were asked specifically about the project. And as a result of that, in literally the first two minutes of the sales interaction, the customer had been talked to about inserts, freestanding stoves, and zero clearance fireplaces. And the reason that that was done is because the salesperson did not understand the customer's problem to the point where they could take options off the table and show the customer what would work specifically for them. So when they got done, uh, I took my turn as the salesperson. And one of my rules whenever I'm working a showroom floor is I always have a notepad, a laptop, or a checklist with me because I don't trust myself to remember every question that I need to ask the customer. I, I, just, I just don't trust myself that way. I have to be in a situation where the questions are pre-scripted for me in order to keep me focused and able to listen to the customer versus think about uh, what should I ask next. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't deviate from the written questions in front of me as the customer gives me information, but written questions in front of me, whether on my computer or on my notepad or on my checklist, they keep me grounded and anchored. So when it was my turn to be the salesperson, I went through and talked to the customer about their project and asked a number of questions. And at the end of it, the team tallied up the questions that were asked, and there was over 30 questions that I asked the customer. 
And afterwards, I specifically asked the person who was the customer and the rest of the team, I said, at any point, did you feel awkward? Like I was probing too much, like I was getting invasive into your business. And everybody said, no, like we can't believe it. That was, that was incredible. And the magic was not in me or how good I am. The magic was the process. And so with all of that said, I want to give you this process. So imagine in scenario one, a customer walks into a store and the salesperson's busy and they say, Hey, how you doing? Be with you in a minute. And then they ask the customer three questions. So uh, what are you looking for today? Wood, gas, or, or pellet? And the customer says, Oh, I'm, I'm looking for a pellet stove. Okay. So uh, you mean a freestanding stove, right? Not an insert. And the customer goes, uh, yeah, a, a stove. Okay. Okay. How many square feet you got? Um, we're, we're about 2000 square feet. And with that information, the salesperson takes them to a product and starts looking at it. I guarantee if you audit your showrooms, this is happening more often than you wish it would. So that's scenario number one. Scenario number two is that a customer walks into the showroom, salesperson walks up and says, Hey there, how you doing? Thanks a ton for coming into our store today. We really appreciate it. So they banter back and forth a little bit. And at some point the salesperson says, so what is it that brings you in today? And the customer says the exact same thing. They say, oh, we're here looking at pellet stoves. But the salesperson replies with this statement. Oh man, that's awesome. Well, as you can see, we have all kinds of pellet stoves on display and not every pellet stove actually works in every given home situation. So if it's okay, I'd love to sit down and just ask you a few questions about your project. And that way I can make sure to get a good understanding of it and can recommend a product that would be a really good solution for your space. How's that sound? Now, if you think about that, let's rewind that language back. Customer says, I'm looking at a pellet stove. And you reply with, oh, well, that's great. Okay, first off, we're affirming the customer. And then you can say, you know, as you can see, we have all kinds of pellet stoves on display. And not every pellet stove actually works in every given situation. Okay, that's a true statement. You're, you're acknowledging we have a lot on display. The customer knows that. They are already overwhelmed walking in. So you're acknowledging that, which is empathy. But you're saying not every pellet stove will work in every situation, which is a completely true statement. What you're doing, though, is you're planting a seed of doubt in the customer's mind. And now, this is, this is true doubt, but there's doubt in their mind of, wait a minute, so which one's going to work for me? So you're planting that doubt. Oh, as you can see, we have all kinds of pellet stoves on display and not every pellet stove works in every different situation. So here's the answer to that problem that you brought up. So if it's okay with you, you've just asked their permission. So if it's okay with you, I'd love to sit down and just ask you a few questions about your project. So that way I can make sure I'm on the same page and can show you some products that would be a really good fit. Okay. So again, think about that. You're saying, so if it's okay with you, I'd like to sit down and ask you a few questions. So you're not just asking questions out of the blue. You're telling the customer what you will do before you do it. Okay. I want to ask you some questions to make sure that I can stay on the same page and show you some products that are a really good fit. What you're doing is you are telling the customer why questions need to be asked. They need to be asked because not everything works in every space and you don't want to waste their time. You don't want to show them something that's a bad fit or won't work in their home. So you're asking them to sit down and answer a set of questions. That phrase, 
if you can say it to every single customer every single time, this will single-handedly transform your connection points with customers. What you'll find is that by sitting down and grabbing a notepad or grabbing your laptop, you say, hey, do you mind if I take some notes while we talk? I just want to make sure I stay on the same page. By doing that, customers will realize, oh, this person really wants to help me. They're really serious. Now, again, I ask permission to take notes, but in in the same way, I ask permission to, to ask questions. But if you think about this, what reasonable person when you say, hey, yeah, that's great. You're looking at gas fireplaces. As you can see, we have all kinds of gas fireplaces on display and not every fireplace will work in every different home situation. So if it's okay, I'd love to sit down and just ask you a few questions about your project. That way I can make sure to stay on the same page and am able to show you a fireplace that's going to be a really good fit for your home. No reasonable person will say no to that. No reasonable person will say, no, 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 you just show me everything, whether it'll work or not. It's okay for you to completely waste my time and show me stuff that won't work in my house. It's crazy. No one will say that. People will thank you. They'll say, oh yeah, I'd love to sit down. Thank you. In the same way, if you say, hey, do you mind if I grab a notepad or a laptop to take some notes with? No reasonable person will say no to that. But you are showing the customer that you care about them and you are gracious. Now, as you ask questions, in addition to all the information that you learn, you will make a connection with your customer like no salesperson they have talked to so far. I guarantee it. Because no one's doing this. I mean, truly, in, in all the secret shopping that, that I've done, I mean, I, I have not seen this done in the wild. Now, now that's saying with a company that does not specifically work with someone on their sales process. I've never seen it done in the wild. So your company will have a major, major advantage doing this. And here's what's cool. By having a pre-scripted list of questions, you are really going to understand the customer's problem. So like, as an example, let's just say that we go through that interaction. Hey, that's great that you're looking at gas fireplaces. You know, as you can see, we have a ton of gas fireplaces on display and not every fireplace will actually work in every different home situation. So if it's okay, I'd love to sit down just for a few minutes and ask you some questions about your project. And that way I can make sure that I'm on the same page and can show you a fireplace that's going to be a really good fit for your home. Would you mind having a seat over here? Okay, so that's the interaction. Again, they need to physically sit down. This cannot be done standing up. Physically sit down. Okay, so we sit down. Hey, do you mind if I grab my computer just to take some notes while we talk? I want to make sure that I can stay on the same page. Okay, perfect. Let me go grab that. So the first thing, Hey, can you tell me a little bit about your project? And just listen. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Oh, that, that sounds great. So, so you, okay. So you mentioned you're, you're looking for a gas fireplace. What are you hoping this does for you by the time the project's all, all said and done? What, what, what do you, what do you want your home to be like? Got it. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. So, so, so based on that, I guess it sounds like the, the key reason that you're adding this fireplace is really probably for heat. And it sounds like you really want to update the, the look of the house. Is there any other reason that you have for adding this fireplace? Got it. Okay. Safety and a power outage. That makes a ton of sense. Okay. Okay, cool. And you know, we, there's a lot of different styles of fireplaces. We have single-sided, see-through, multi-sided. What, what were you envisioning for this? Got it. Okay. Okay. Single-sided fireplace. Okay. Now, what what area of the house is this going to be going into? Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And have you thought about what kind of fuel you want to use to power your fireplace? Gas, wood, pellets, electric. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Gas fireplace. Perfect. And 
what size do you want this to be? So I, I, I know that we're, that we're starting from scratch on this wall. How, how big do you want that fireplace to be? Okay. Yeah. Roughly like th- maybe three and a half feet wide. Got it. Okay. And, and about how high? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so roughly a square fireplace, maybe three and a half feet by three and a half feet. Have you, have you thought about how big you want the enclosure to be? So fireplaces are kind of like icebergs. They're bigger behind the wall than they are what's immediately visible. So there'll be some kind of an enclosure to fit that fireplace that is often covered with like tile or stone or, or shiplap, some material like that. How, how big do you envision that enclosure? Got it. Okay. So maybe, maybe, oh, so big. So maybe, maybe, maybe eight feet wide. And do you think that's going to go all the way up to your ceiling? Okay. And, and about how tall are your ceilings? Are they pretty tall? Okay. Understood. That makes sense. That makes sense. Now, is, is there a particular decorative style that you're looking for with this? Okay. Yeah. 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 More traditional home. Okay. And, and is there, is there, is there anything else in that space that is kind of the inspiration for this? Like, does it need to tie in with your kitchens or your countertops or anything like that? Got it. Okay. Okay. And one more question. This might be strange, but what year was your house built? Okay. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, my house, it was, it was built about, about the same time. Now, I, I appreciate you bearing with me. This is really helping me get just a good sense of your project. And we're going to have some, some really cool fireplaces to fit it. But I just got a few more questions for you. Where this is going, do you want this fireplace to be bumped into the room? Or do you want it to be kind of flush and even with your wall where it actually bumps out the outside of your house? Okay, bumped into your room. Cool. Yeah. Do you imagine that being raised up or, or, or flat on the ground? Okay. Okay. Raised up. And, and do you think you'd want to have like a, like a sitting area in front of it, almost like a hearth with tile or stone on it? Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay, cool. And is this on an inside wall of the house or an outside wall? Outside wall. Makes sense. Okay. Now, have you thought about how you want this to vent? So gas fireplaces, they can vent either out the back wall. If you're, if you're on that outside wall or they can go vertically. Do you have a preference on that? Do you mind seeing a cap on the outside of your house? Yeah, I mean, it definitely, it saves you money to do that. And if it's in an area of the backyard where people don't really go or see, yeah, horizontal makes it makes a ton of sense. Um, are you working with a contractor on this project already? Okay, okay, perfect, perfect. And do you need us to do any of the framing work or refer someone out to do framing? Or do you think that you'll be taking care of that yourself or we were a contractor do it? Got it, okay, okay. And I'm assuming that we'll be installing this for you? Yeah, that, okay, that makes a ton of sense. Um, just a few more questions and then, and then we can jump into some fireplaces. Um, do you need us to run gas line for this? Okay. Okay, cool. And, and can you tell me the, the area, the area this is going in your home? I'm assuming it's the main level. Was that, was that correct? Okay, perfect. Now below the main level, do you have a crawl space or maybe like an unfinished basement? Is your house on a slab? I'm just envisioning how we're going to get the gas line in there. Okay. Unfinished basement below. Perfect. 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 Okay, cool, man. This is, this is so good. I, I appreciate you bearing with these questions, but this, this really gives me a good understanding of your home and, 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 and the situation that you have. And I, I think we have a couple fireplaces that are going to be a really good fit. Do you mind if we take a look at them? Okay. Now I, I took you through that interaction to show you, I'm just reading off of a checklist and you're allowed to go off the beaten path a little bit if you need to, right? Like if they tell you about their dog fluffy, or if they talk to you about how they had the worst remodel experience of their life six months ago, like you can push into that, but these questions anchor you. And I'm telling you, if you run through what I just did with every single one of your customers on the floor, it will transform your interactions because the product 
will take care of itself. It will be so easy to write up estimates because you understand their problem. For many salespeople and many sales managers, they say, well, my customers don't want me asking a million questions. Well, I, I mean, maybe, but if you frame it the way that, that we just discussed, hey, as you can see, we have all kinds of fireplaces on display and not every fireplace actually will work in every different situation. So if it's okay, I'd love to sit down and just ask you a few questions about your project. And that way I can make sure to stay on the same page and can show you a fireplace that's going to be a really good fit for your home. If you frame it that way, people will answer all the questions that you have. Now, someone might be busy and they might say, well, how long is this going to take? And you can say, well, it's probably going to take, you know, five to to 10 minutes to kind of understand what you have. And then we can show you some options. If they don't have time, book an appointment for later. But don't rush the process. When you rush the process, number one, you commoditize yourself. But number two, you have to show the customers everything because you don't understand their situation. By going slow on the front end, you'll find that you can run fast on the back end. And, and this takes time, this takes discipline, and this takes effort. But I'm telling you, if you can make the effort to script out your questions. And again, whether it's a clipboard or whether it's a laptop, every single time, every single salesperson with every single customer, if you run this through as your process, it will fundamentally transform your success. As we're heading into a down economy, and as you're dealing with trying to figure out how do we move from the old sales funnel to the new sales funnel, this right here will be your anchor. You can train to this, You can take someone that's been literally doing this for 10 minutes and hand them the questionnaire and they can walk through it with a customer. They can then take that questionnaire and go hand it to the expert and watch while the expert talks about it. But doing this creates a connection and it builds the groundwork of training. If you can take the time to understand your customer's problem in this level of detail, your sales will be wildly successful. So I hope that this is helpful for you. And I'm going to share a couple more thoughts on the back end as we round out today's episode. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. You know, for me, I felt like it was really important just with what I've been seeing to do a solo episode about the sales process and particularly how to understand a customer's problem. Now, we didn't get to it in the conversation, but I would tell you that when you're done asking these questions best thing to do is summarize everything in your notes and ask the customer, is that a fair representation of your situation? And let the customer tell you yes. And you can even articulate. So if I'm understanding you correctly, you have this, 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 and this. And is this the major problem that you're trying to solve? Let the customer tell you yes. This buys incredible goodwill with the customer. It shows that you're the expert and it shows that you care about them. What happens next is, as you go to look at products, the products literally work themselves out because you have the understanding of the problem. So getting really practical as a takeaway, I would tell you this, document what are your questions. And you might say, well, they're different based on zero clearance or an insert or a freestanding stove. And I get that, you know, what I'm looking at here as I go through this, like my questions are different too, based on those situations. But if you're starting from ground zero, do not overthink this. Write down 15 questions that you want every customer to be asked no matter what. Put little check boxes where you can, you know, check what the answer is, put a little spot to write notes in. 
That's step one. Step two is go print a hundred of them and put them on your sales counter. Step three is that as we record this live, we're in November and I'll tell you, take the rest of November and December, take the next two months and once a week, practice it with your team for an hour. If you can roll through live sales practice for an hour with your team using this questionnaire, you will see massive results. I mean, I'm just telling you that you will. You'll find that you become easy to buy from and that this system is easy to train to. Team members will get better and better and better as they become more comfortable with the process. Now, if this episode has been a blessing for you and you want to support the podcast financially, you can do that by going to the website patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash it's fire time. And while today was a one-off episode where we're just diving deep on the mechanics of sales, we're going to shift our focus into speaking with legacy makers throughout the rest of this podcast season. And we're going to end it with a Q&A episode with Tim Rethlick. And my hope is that as we've gone through this season of the podcast, that you can find yourself in these stories and say, that's me. That's where I want to go. Okay, this is what they did. I can push into the same thing. That's my hope is that there's inspiration and practicality for you. So I hope that you guys got a ton of value out of this. You're in the heart of the season and just know that your work matters and that by going slow and building these processes, you're going to find there's a massive payoff on the back end and that you can run faster than ever. So hope you have an amazing week and we will talk again very soon. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. All in to burn.